one. I'm not just wandering around, I guarantee it. I actually know where I'm supposed to be. And I'm actually a lot taller than this, so I'm gonna raise this up. All right. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Victor. That's perfect. All right. Let's come up to uh, my, my place in the world now. Huh? Uh, really, just really excited just to be able to have the opportunity to speak to everyone this morning. Very glad you guys were able to make it here today. Uh, as, I, as I was getting ready for this, you know, a couple days ago, uh, a friend of ours was walking by our house and we were out working on Donovan's car and she was telling us what her day was like and she's got some little kids and she just said, you know, man, school's really gearing up. And uh, she told us these things that they just had to do. She had to take them to school, then she took them to music practice and then to swimming practice. And then the one other thing I can't remember because the list got so long, I lost track. And, you know, that's just the, I think, the way it is right now. So many of us are gearing up. You know, whether you're uh, getting ready to go to college, uh, starting classes, uh, or if you've got little ones or uh, teenagers and they're getting ready to go to school, there's a lot of pressures that come with everybody getting ramped up again. And, and then, you know, think for some of us, just work is gearing up. Work is ramping up. This next week, uh, I'm going to be going to Flagstaff, Arizona, for a flood control project uh, I'm leading out there. And there's all kinds of issues. There's, uh, there's utility problems. There's a BNSF railroad issue. There's an Arizona Department of Transportation issue. There's several projects that are being built in the same footprint as our project that I have to coordinate with. And uh, honestly, it's daunting. So I've been getting ready for that. We're gonna go do that this week. <clears throat> but you know, we all have our pressure list. We all have that list of things that we're working on right now the things that are on our plates. And uh, that pressure list that each of us have, it's real. And it's here, and it's now. And we all know that really, you know, we can't be passive about it. We, we know that we have to decide on how we're going to approach our decisions and the, uh, on the different pressures and the decisions that need to be made. We have to decide how we're going to approach that. And in our hearts, I think as we personally face the challenges that are on our plate, I think all of us know something. Down deep in our hearts, we know something, and that is this. We need help. We need help. Now, we might push that down uh, with this, well, I think I can handle anything that comes. You know, we might amplify it and get really overwhelmed about what's coming, or we might own it and just try to find sources of help, try to find some help for that. So that's kind of like, I know that all of us here today have such a pressure list, and we're, those are things we're dealing with. And then, but there's something that intersects this. Something that intersects this is a promise to all of us who are followers of Christ. And that is this. It's a promise that God is making to all of us. And it's this. I will be with you. I will be with you. In fact, you see it all through the scriptures. On the, there's going to be a slide. Go ahead and go to the next slide. Uh, you'll see it all over. You see, uh, God said this to Moses. Uh, you see, he said, it's to Joshua. As I was Moses, I'll be with you. Uh, David, I've been with you right in the middle of David's career. He says, I have been with you everywhere wherever you've been. And there's a promise there to continue doing so. This promise carries over to us as well. And it uh, many times stay in the scripture. But how do we approach our lives in such a way that we can tap into that reality? That God really wants to be with us. How do we, how do, we do that? I think... One thing that we have to keep in mind, we have to be crystal clear on, is it takes two. It takes two. Um, in Amos 
3.3, uh, God uses this. He's uh, using it kind of an analogy for something else he's saying, but he says, do two walk together unless they've agreed to do so? The answer is no. You know, if you don't agree with someone, it's really hard to go do life with them. You know, uh, that's just a very difficult thing. In fact, it's impossible. And so I looked, I looked up the meaning of the word agree in the dictionary, and it basically what it means is to hold, holding the same view or opinion on something. Holding the same view or opinion on something. And, you know, until you agree, until you hold the same view or opinion with somebody, you really can't walk together. You really can't do life with one another. Um, it's just not going to work. God has promised to walk with us. And the big question, the big question is, will we walk with him? Will we walk with him? And what we're going to be talking about that this morning is, how do you connect to and be with him? How do you be with him in your real life? Now, the God who created reality, God is the one who created reality. He, he manages the events of the world. In Isaiah, it says that the nations are like the dust on the scale. He doesn't bother to brush off before he weighs something. You know, he's, he's that kind of level. And he orchestrates the circumstances of our lives. And he's handing us to us assignments. Now, whose views and opinions need, do you think need to change? I'm going to put my money on mine. <laughs> you know, we, we need to change our views and opinions to really agree with him. If you flip your program over, you'll see a graphic. And it's just a, it's a very simple graphic of two lines converging. But one thing you'll notice is only one line changes direction. That's us. And we, it's a simple illustration, but it's a really good illustration of who adapts to who. You know, God said in uh, Isaiah 55, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts and my ways are higher than your ways. So we really... We have to adapt to him. Now, to do that, to be able to come to a point where we agree with him and walk with him, there's a couple of things that we really, ha that really have to happen in our lives. And I'm, those are the two things we're going to talk about this morning. And that is, we, we, need to, we have to know him. We have to know him. And we have to listen to him. We have to know him. And we have to listen to him. Now, we have to know him. We, need, we, need to, we have to know who he is. We have to know that he cares for you and he cares for me. We have to know that how engaged he is in your life. We have to know how invested he is in you. We have to know really his span of control and what he's able to accomplish and affect in our lives. We have to really know him. And we have to listen to him. We have to apply our ability to think. And really apply our ability to think to the word of God. And what we have to do is take in his word and really thoughtfully take his word in, dwell on it, ponder its meaning, and really explore implications it has in your life, in your real life. Those are things that have to happen. I'm going to take, those are two things we're going to talk about this morning. I'm going to talk some about them one at a time. First one I want to talk about is just knowing him, how, knowing him. And how do we actually connect with him in such a way we get to know him? Now, one thing, if anybody gets around me, the one thing they know about me is that I like movies. And I like, uh, that's why I usually see video clips when I'm up here, because honestly, you see a lot of illustrations of things in movies, and you see a lot of things you shouldn't be involved with as well. But, uh, but I really enjoy movies. And there's a technique that I usually enjoy if it's done right, and it's something called this. It's called breaking the fourth wall. Anybody, anybody know what that means? There's several folks that are nodding their heads. Good. Could you tell me? No, I told. Um, so breaking the fourth wall. 
essentially it comes from the theater. It's a term that comes from the theater where they build a set where you have two side walls and a back wall, and they're doing the stage and doing the scene on the stage. And then the fourth wall is that imaginary wall that's between the people acting and the people on the and the people in the audience. So that's the fourth wall. And whenever a you know whenever a character that's on the stage or on a movie acknowledges the audience, they call that breaking the fourth wall. They're like involving them. And you know if you watch uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, you'll see a lot of that. Uh, it's kind of it's it's a funny uh, favorite show of mine. If you watch uh, if you watch the new uh, uh, what's it called She-Hulk, you'll you'll notice that she breaks the fourth wall in that movie. But I actually had an experience of breaking the fourth wall myself. Uh, when I was uh, several years ago, before my wife and I were married, we were engaged. Uh, a good friend of ours at USC was uh, studying to be an actor, and one of her classes was directing class. And so she asked me and my wife, or my fiance at the time, if we would act a scene for her, she'd direct us, and we would go in and we'd do this scene in front of her uh, director's class. I thought, oh, okay, I kinda, I've always kind of enjoyed acting, so I went, all right, I'll, I'll try that out. And so Kate and I, we, we, we practiced, we learned our lines. And uh, I was concerned about something, I'll be honest, going in, I was afraid that Kate was gonna forget her lines. Cause she would bobble them once in a while. And I would just, but she, she was kind of good at like going with the flow and she would say things and went, well, that wasn't there, but hey, it sounded kind of good. And I have zero ability to do that. So I was a little concerned when we walked in there that she was gonna forget her lines. So we get into this place, we get into this room at USC and it wasn't it, nothing like I expected. Uh, it was black. Everything was painted black. Just completely like devoid of light. And there was a state, uh, the, uh, the bandstand or the uh, stands where people were sitting, those were all painted black. And so when they, when it was time to go, they turned the spotlight on Kate and I on the stage in the, in the center and everybody else went away. I mean, I was just like, whoa, almost. I could see people on the side over here a little bit but it was just completely dark and it was, it was fine. So we started, uh, we started through our scenes and we're going through and I thought it was going fairly well until about five or six exchanges in some, I heard someone off in the darkness. I heard someone laugh. And honestly, at that moment, anxiety filled my heart because I, I thought, I mean, I, they laughed, you know, they could have laughed over anything. Maybe they were passing a joke book around or something. I don't know what they were laughing about. I couldn't see them, but someone laughed and I, my anxiety went up. And the first thing, and what came to my mind was this, I'm a civil engineer and I'm acting in front of an acting class at USC. What in the world was I thinking? Oh, well, that was a good idea. Um, and so I'm, I'm uh, honestly, that came to my mind. And the problem with that coming to my mind is it removed other things out of my mind. And Kate didn't forget her lines. I forgot mine. <laughs> and so not only am I, I got this anxiety because I'm in front of all these people, but I, I have no idea what I'm supposed to say next. And I, and I'm just trying to, it was, there was some awkward silence. It felt like four years, but I think it was probably 20, 10 seconds. And I was just, it was just awkward silence and I'm trying to figure out what to do. And at that moment, I would have broke the fourth wall, the eighth wall, the 10th wall, any wall that was out there, I'm gonna break somebody's wall. And uh, 
I turned over and the, the gal that was uh, directing, had been directing us, she was detached from us now. I looked over and she's on the wings and I could just make her out. And I, I needed help. I mean, that, that something became very obvious to me. Help is now required. And I turned over and I looked at her and I said, line? <laughs> and I thought, just give me two words, just two words. And I can put this back together. And she pantomimed to me and made motions with her hands and made it clear to me, I can't help you. And so I'm like, oh, my soul. And so I, I just, you know, I didn't have time to think about much. But the only thing I could think of was I went back and I started to play over in my head the scene. And I got to like the fifth line and I remembered, I remembered the exchange. So it was like quiet for probably 25 seconds while I did that. And then I'm there. We finished it up and it went well. I am still haunted by the fact I never found out what her grade was. <laughs> and it's like uh, she did graduate, so I didn't tank her her career too much there. But uh, that was that was something. Now, you know, we're all we're all on the stage of our lives. We're on the stage of our lives, and we often realize we often know. Like I was saying earlier, we need help. We need help. And. Now, in real life, there is no fourth wall. It doesn't, it doesn't exist. We're living in real 3D. But I think many people, maybe some of us here today, many people live as if there is a fourth wall between them and God. They live as if there is a fourth wall between them and God. And what that leads to is kind of a thinking like, I'm all on my, lo- I'm all on my own, and I have to figure this out all by myself. And... In your minds, you're living as if you're the only one on the stage. And even though it's, it's, it's a kind of a mental block, you're not really detached from God and his ability to impact your life. But the way you're living, you've completely separated your ability to connect with God because you live as if you're all by yourself. Now, to be with God and really walk with him... Uh, a couple of things to keep in mind. One is that God is not limited, by, like my friend in the darkness. <laughs> God's not limited. He, he can actually, he is involved. He is taking care of you. And he can speak into your situation. He can actually affect your situation. But to be able to connect to that and really be with him, we need to break that fourth wall of our thinking. We have to break that fourth wall of our thinking and we have to invite God into our lives. We have to invite God into our lives. Our real life, the one we're actually living, the things that we're actually dealing with, invite God into what we're actually dealing with. And what the, if you pull back the curtain, uh, maybe, what that, maybe what that looks like is, let's say as a parent, your kids are being really unruly and you're trying to just figure out how can I make them really listen to me? And you're kind of on the stage and you're trying to figure this out. You're trying things, having results. And then you just, Break the fourth wall with God. And you go, Father, you see what I'm doing. You see what's going on. I need help. What should I do? Maybe, maybe this morning you're having too much month and not enough money. You know, maybe the finances is kind of a, a difficulty you're dealing with. You're trying things. You're trying to figure things out. What you need to do is turn around, break the fourth wall with God in your thinking and say, God, you see what I'm up against. You see what I'm dealing with. I need help. What should I do? Maybe you have a relationship problem that's really gone sideways. And 
you need to, you're in this situation, you, you need to turn, break the wall with God and say, Father, you see what they did and you see what I've done. God, I need help. How can I put this back together? Uh, maybe it's conflict with leadership at work. Maybe uh, you're not, you're just having some struggles with leadership at work and you uh, are in that situation, you turn and you break the fourth wall with God and you say, God, Father, you see the decisions that they're making and the impact they're having on me. I need help. How do, how do, how do I navigate this season where I'm at right now? How do I navigate that? Turn to him, tell him you need help and ask him for his, his input. When we welcome God into our real, actual lives, it opens the door. It opens the door to really listen to him and his counsel and really getting to know him for who he really is. It opens the door for that. Now, I did say I like movies, so we are going to watch a movie clip. Be encouraged. Uh, this movie, I want us to watch a clip, and we were having a little bit of difficulty earlier with this, so the words may not match what you're seeing. So if that does happen, listen to the words and look at the setting, and I think it'll come together. So if not, I'm going to disentangle it, but if we do have an issue, just know that. But essentially, this is, a, this is a clip from the movie Hacksaw Ridge. It's a true story about a man named Desmond Doss, who was a conscientious objector in World War II, which usually means you don't go to war. It means you're, you abstain from going to war. But he volunteered for the Army, even though he's a conscientious objector, because he wanted to really be there for his country. And, but he, something had happened in his life where there was some gun violence that he got involved with, and he almost did something horrible. And he made a promise to God, I won't touch a firearm again. And so he goes in trying to be a medic into the military. His commanding officer mocks him and ridicules him because of that stance. But he does become a medic and he stays in the military, in the army. And then they go into battle. They go into battle at Hacksaw Ridge. And Desmond Doss single-handedly saved about 75 men of his wounded comrades under heavy mortar fire, under heavy gunfire. He kept running in. He wouldn't give up. Kept running in, pulling guys out, pulling guys out. And he became the only conscientious objector to receive the Congressional Medal of Honor in World War II. Those things don't really go together usually, but yet that's who he was. And this clip we're going to watch is the moment that his commander, the one who had treated him with great disrespect, spoke to him right after he saved those men's lives. And so we're going to watch this, and uh, then I'll come back up and we'll talk a little more about it.
believe so much. How much do you believe? What you did on that really just nothing short of a miracle. And they want a piece of it. And they're not gonna go up there without you. So that didn't come through great, but let me kind of walk you through what he said. He walks up to Desmond and he says, I just saw a skinny kid. I didn't know who you were. I didn't know who you were. And then he says, the guys are going to go back to battle tomorrow and they don't want to go without you. You know, they wanted, he's a guy that you want on your side. I didn't know who you were, and they're not going to go back up there without you. You know, there comes a point in our lives as we invite God in, and we listen to him, and we, and we get to know him for who he really is. There comes a point in our lives where we say, with God, we come to this place where we actually know him way more than we used to, and we tell him, God, I didn't know who you were. I didn't know who you were. I didn't realize all the way you cared about me. I didn't realize the ability you have to affect and change the things I'm dealing with. I just didn't know who you were. And I'm not going to go out there without you. I'm not going to go out there without you. That is, that is uh, a fundamental place you need to be to be able to have a with him life, is you need to know who he is, and, say, and come to the place where you realize, man, I don't want to go out there without you. And to be with God in this way, you really have to understand who he's, what he's really like, like I said. And you have to welcome him into your life. You have to realize you need help and you need to listen to him and act on what he says. So how do you listen? I want to, well, we're going to, this will be the last part of the talk today. So how do you listen? So you're getting to know him, but how do you listen? Proverbs twenty five twelve. Uh, says, like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. And he says, you know, there's, some, there's almost nothing more beautiful than when you got someone who knows something and they can really share and help and someone who listens and a listening ear. And really, if you look up that phrase, listening ear, what it's saying is listening with a view towards orientation, orienting your life around it. So listening with a view of orienting your life around it and putting it into practice. It's like listening to Warren Buffett about how you should invest stocks. You listen to everything he says, and then you go do it. it that's a listening ear. So, you know, a, a couple of months ago, what I want to do this morning is I want to kind of just do something I, I've never really done before. And that's how you kind of walk through some of the ways that I listen and, the, and, the, and, what I, and just kind of walk you through where I'm at, what I'm doing right now, and I just kind of bring you guys into that a little bit. You know, a couple of months ago, Eric Siri gave a great talk on the life of Joseph. Great talk. If you haven't heard it, go check it out. Very, a very helpful talk. And, you know, as I was listening, as he was sharing that day, you know, I've, I've developed a habit of taking notes uh, over the last couple of decades. You know, the, there's the old adage, the dullest pencil is better than the sharpest mind. I found that there were things I would hear and go, man, I need to, I remember that. And then I wouldn't. And so I got in the habit of taking notes. And I want to show you an image of my notes from that day. Here they are. You can see my penmanship is amazing. Uh, but one thing is he was, he, he was talking about 
uh, at this one point, he was talking about uh, Genesis 32, uh, sorry, 39-2. And it was this startling statement. And he talked about it. But it's like Joseph was a slave. And this is a paraphrase. But Joseph was a slave and he became a successful man. And I'm like, you know, it's like uh, ketchup and ice cream. It doesn't quite go together. It's like, I'm a slave and I've become a successful man. And that just really, that just really landed on me. And I wrote down some things like it connected. What it is, is I think God just put his finger on that for me as I was listening. And he's like, Jeep, you need to pay attention to this. This is where you're at right now. And I wrote down, uh, look up the word successful in verse 2, 23, and do a study on this word. And then I, I put down, I thought I would be the program manager for the Santa Ana River Project. This was a year ago. It's like I could see my trajectory of my career, and I thought that's the way I'm going to bring this baby in for a landing. And that didn't happen. And I thought of Joseph thought he would get out of prison when he helped the cupbearer, but it was two more years in prison for him, and that was not what he wanted. And that's not the way he was thinking it was going to go. And I just, in my mind, I thought, well, it's only been a year. Maybe I got another year. No, I, so I, I, what, what I thought was, you know what? There's something here I need to listen to because I've been really working on this uh, disappointment for a while. It's come in stages. But anyway, so I decided to do that. And I looked up the word for uh, success. It basically just means making progress in your life, making progress in ventures you take. And then as I did that, I found another word that's also used for success. It's, it's a word called uh, sackle, which is a fun word to say. Say it yourself and you'll own it. Um, but uh, sackle, what it means is to act wisely and give attention to the things you need to give attention to. It's, there's several nuances to that, but it, it leads to a successful life. So then I, what I did is I did a search. Uh, I have some software that I do this with, but you can use BibleStudyTools.com. Uh, you can use BibleGateway.com. And I just came up with a word file with all the references that use those two words in the Old Testament. And uh, if you look up on the screen... Uh, this is just a, a piece of that word file. And I just went through and I just circled and I highlighted uh, the places where it answered the question I was asking. And that was, uh, how does a slave become a successful man? That's kind of the, as I'm going into this, you know, how do you become successful? And so I kind of I connected a few things. And then what I, what I found is that there were several people in the, in the scriptures that were described as being successful. Joseph, Joshua, David, Hezekiah, many others. And I decided what I'd do is just have my quiet time, my daily devotional in their lives. And so then I just started doing that. And one, one major observation that I've made so far that I wanted to just bring out real quick, and that is every time you see someone described as successful in the Old Testament, it's coupled with another phrase. And that phrase is, the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. Those those are always in the same place whenever God describes someone or someone describes someone as being successful. And so, you know, I started with Joseph and uh, now I'm spending time with David and I'm still on this journey. I just wanted to share this morning something that came out of that that I think is relevant to what we're talking about today. And as I was going through the story of Abigail, I'm sorry, Abigail and David, uh, story of David, this, this story kind of came to Really, I felt like God just put his hand on it for me as I was reading it in my, in my just devotional time. And I want to tell you just to kind of set this story up, what was happening, and then some things I got out of it. 
Now, it's a really interesting story because David, this is a period of David's life when he has, um, he has like a reprieve a little bit from King Saul chasing him to kill him. And so what he does, he takes his men out to this wilderness and there's this rich man named Nabal that has like thousands of sheep in this area. So David and his men, whether they're there, he had 600 men and their families, they take care of these sheep. They're taking care of themselves, but they also just really take care of these shepherds, the sheep. They really look after Nabal's investment and they take care of it. And then it comes to a point where David needs provisions. He needs provisions for, their, for these 600 men and their families. And so he sends some of his guys over to Nabal and these guys come to Nabal and they say, hey, David's asking if you can use some provisions because we've been really taking care of your stuff. And then Nabal, he basically says, who the heck is David and who the heck are you? You know, I, I don't care who David is. And he, he says, I'm not going to give anything. You know, David had asked out of their abundance if they could give something. And Nabal says, I'm not going to give you anything. And those guys go back and tell David. Now, when David, when they come back and tell David, let's look at 1 Samuel 25, 13. This is David. He makes a snap decision here. He says, and David said to his men, every man strap on your sword. And every man of them strapped on his sword. David also strapped on his sword. And about 400 men went up after David, while 200 remained with the baggage. So David hears this and he goes, buckle up, guys. We're going to go use a different method of getting provisions. And they start heading out. So you got David, he's heading out with 400 men. Well, right after Nabal said this to David's men and they started going back to David, one of Nabal's servants tells Abigail, hey, you're not going to believe this. Let me tell you what Nabal just told David's men, David. It, it wasn't good. And she, he tells her, and she's alarmed. And she grabs, has several of her folks uh, grab some donkeys, and they put all kinds of provisions on these donkeys. 200 loaves of bread, lots of wine, grain, uh, clusters of raisins, and cakes of figs. And then she heads out to meet David. So you have David coming, hard charging, and you got Abigail going this way, and they meet somewhere in the middle. And when they meet, she gets off her donkey and she says, she bows down and she, and she asks David to let her bear the guilt of her husband. She asks for forgiveness and she provides the gift of provisions. And then she said something that really stood out to me. As I was reading this story, something really stood out to me was this in 1 Samuel 25, 26. She's talking to David. She says, now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt, and from saving with your own hand. Now then, let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. She's, she identifies two things that are bad things in her eyes. And one is blood guilt, which is obvious why it's bad. And then saving with your own hand. And for me, I didn't have a category for that. I was just saving with your own hand. I don't know what that means. So I started thinking about it. But then I kept reading. And then this is David's response to her. And verses 33 through 34. He's talking to Abigail. He says, blessed be your discretion and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, truly by morning, there had not been left in Nabal so much as one male. David had some dark thoughts and he was going to do some major damage and he was going to come back with some vittles. And he met Abigail, and he was very grateful that God had restrained him by using her. But he used the same two things. These two things were very great sins in his eyes, blood guilt and working salvation with your own hand. 
And so I started looking at, what, is, what does that mean, spend some time? I looked at some of the meanings of those words in that statement, saving with your own hand, in the, in the Hebrew. And essentially it means to seek to remove a burden, oppression, or danger with your own power. To seek to remove a burden, oppression, or danger, something you're facing with your own power. Now, I think a good way to describe saving with your own hand is living as if there's a fourth wall between you and God and that you're all alone and it's all up to you and you're the only one on the stage of your life that has to make all the decisions and figure everything out. I think that's what saving with your own hand looks like. And so why did David see this as such a terrible thing? You know, God had promised to be with him. God was with him. And I think he knew the distance that this would place between him and God. And he greatly, David greatly desired to be with God and to walk with him. And he knew that if he were to save with his own hand, it would prevent that. It would separate him from that with him life that he'd been living and that he greatly desired to continue. So saving with your own hand is something that can really cause you difficulties. You know, uh, one thing as we, as we uh, head towards wrapping up, I, I'd like to very quickly share something else that's happening on my stage of life right now. So this is, as I'm going through this time with David, as I'm taking in what God's saying about Abigail and David, and I took in some of the things that I've been sharing today, about seven weeks ago, well, I'll say it this way. You know, over the last year, as I said a minute ago, I've been experiencing what has felt like a loss of reputation. It's felt like the loss of reputation at work. And um, just a lot of new leadership at work, a lot of people who didn't know, who don't know me very well at all, if at all. And it's, it's felt like, like I said, a loss of reputation. Well, about seven weeks ago, uh, our main boss, basically the CEO of our Los Angeles District of the Corps of Engineers, uh, was unceremonially reassigned, just moved. And their new leadership was put into place, very unknown, someone very unknown to any of us. And my first, my knee-jerk reaction when this happened, because this was like someone who did know me, one of the only people left who knew me. And my knee-jerk reaction was I started looking for another job. I just pulled up usajobs.com, which is the government site. And I, I was looking for something in Los Angeles. Uh, I was looking for things you could work remotely because I don't want to leave Los Angeles. I love being here. And I just, I spent some time doing that. And after about 45 minutes, I thought, what am I doing? I, I, I don't know what to do, but I need to think. And about that time, I'm going through this time with David. And the things that we're talking about today were landing on me. And I was thinking it through. And I, this perspective, I think, was God really helping me in the moment to decide what to do. I'm like, God, what do I do? What do I do in this situation with my career? And so what I decided what I needed to do was this. I needed to faithfully handle my responsibilities as directly handed to me by God. To faithfully handle my responsibilities as directly handed to me by God. I needed to rest in him and his ability to accomplish whatever concerns me. And I needed to ask him to help me move through this unknown situation. Just go with me through this. And so over the last, uh, this is the end of a long story, so be encouraged. About three weeks ago, I was... Uh, I was given the leadership of the most difficult civil works project that our company has, which is the one in Flagstaff that I'm heading to next week. And 
management made a decision that they're gonna transition me off of four projects I'm working on now. This new one made it eight. And so they are transitioning me off to four so that I can focus on the four very complicated projects and really work on those. And that's like a breath of fresh air. I've been carrying a lot. Breath of fresh air and what I can see over the last couple of weeks is that God is taking care of my reputation. God is taking care of my reputation and I can see that he's with me and I'm walking with him into the future. And uh, it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with him. And uh, I would just this morning, you know, as, as, we, as we close, you know, maybe this morning you've been saving yourself with your own hand. Uh, or maybe you've been strongly tempted to. I would encourage everyone here to really put the brakes on that and, and really get to know God for who he really is by doing two things. And that is to break down the fourth wall of your thinking and welcome him onto the stage of your real life. And then the second thing is preparing your heart to listen to him and then agree with him and then act accordingly. If we do that, then we will experience the with him life that he strongly desires for us to have. So with that, I'm, I'm going to pray and uh, the band's going to come back up and we'll, uh, we'll wrap up the service. Dear God, Father, we are uh, very grateful that we are not untethered in the dark, that we're not on a stage with no one around, but that, God, you're intimately involved with our lives. And, God, I pray that each one of us would see where we need to break down the fourth wall of our thinking and bring you in. And, God, I pray that over time we would see how incredible it is to walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen.